Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Chris and uh, we're indoors today because it's a storm day. Uh, we even had rain come in the house last night. It came through the, the roof and down into the ceiling and down a, uh, a, a light fitting and um, dripped all over, dripped constantly all over the floor. And funny enough, we, uh, we turned the light off and um, I didn't realize this, but in, uh, the, 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 these new low voltage, um, low power consuming light bulbs draw power down the electricity line, um, even when the light switches off. So the light flicked all night and I, and I thought, gosh, the house is gonna burn down. But on calling the emergency electrician, we found out that that's what they do. The LED lights can actually uh, function without being turned on. Uh, when there's water around. So let's talk about today's podcast. It seems that uh, nature, or if you will, the process of evolution has endowed every single living being with the wish to live. And whatever we believe to be our reasons are only secondary thoughts by which we rationalize this biologically given impulse. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? The appetite to live has been given every single living being. Um, dogs will bite you, people will hurt you, uh, people will pursue uh, illegal, legal, they'll work their ass off. Because every living being in its DNA, in its human nature, has the wish to live. And then we make up good reasons for it. We justify or rationalize that that we want to live, that we like to live, are the facts that require no explanation. But if we ask, how do you want to live? What we seek from life, what makes life meaningful, what makes it enjoyable, what makes us want to keep living, then indeed, we deal with questions, and they are always identical, to which all people will give many different answers. Some will say they want love, others will choose power, others security, others sensuous pleasure and comfort, others fame. And very often, even the same person will change the reason they want to live due to the pain or uncomfortableness of their current reality. But I guess you could agree in a generic statement that what everybody wants is happiness. And when they find something that gives them unhappiness, that becomes the target of what they think, if they fix it, will make them want to live. This is also what makes uh, philosophers and theologians uh, busy. They think happiness is the aim of human striving. And then the question becomes, how do you get it? If happiness covers such a different and mostly mutual exclusive uh, targets. It becomes an abstraction and thus rather useless. What matters is to examine what the term happiness means, I think. I guess this is understood by when you go in the garden. The aim of the life of a rose bush is to be all that's inherently potentially born into the rosebush. 
that its leaves are well developed and its flower is the most perfect rose that can grow out of the sea. The gardener knows it then in order to reach this aim um, the gardener follows certain norms. Um, the rose bush needs soil, uh, uh, a kind of soil with certainly with fertilizer in it. Um, they need moisture, they need temperature and they need shade. It's up to the gardener to provide these things if they want to have beautiful roses. But even without the gardener's help, the rosebush tries to provide itself with the optimum of its needs. It can do nothing about the moisture in the soil, but it can do something about the sun and the temperature by growing crooked, uh, as you probably have seen, in the direction of the sun throughout all the different seasons. So why wouldn't the same be true of the human species? We uh, have a soul, we have a, 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 be a sense of self, which grows towards the sun, and it will grow crooked if it has to, to reach that sun. And then we have what we call the gardening process of providing ourselves with the right soil and the right uh, environments and the right uh, fertilizers <laughs> and the right amount of relaxation and sleep and moisture that makes sure that the thing that's going to happen anyway, which is our rosebush, uh, beautiful flower and the leaves, doing the best to express themselves, get the best opportunity. So <clears throat> even if we had no theoretical knowledge about the reason for the norms that are, are conducive to human optimal growth and functioning. Experience tells us uh, that uh, uh, as much as the gardener, uh, we can actually come up with some pretty generic things that make a person grow. Or let's say provide the environment for a person to grow or do what is natural for them to do, which is reach for the sun. Therein uh, lies the reason that all great teachers have arrived at essentially the same answers about what makes it good for, for life. What makes, what's the fertilizer, what's the foundation for making a rose grow beautiful? And the essential of these norms being the overcoming of greed, um, getting past illusions and moving through and, and not being immersed in hate. And the optimum things that help us grow and therefore provide happiness, uh, the attainment of love and compassion, um, and that those things um, create the soil and the moisture to allow the soul or the self to search for the sun, in other words, do its thing. And in doing its thing, we find the concept of happiness. So we, we, we know that the Roses don't have what we call happiness, but they, they do thrive under certain environmental conditions. And those are them, that hate, uh, greed, and delusion uh, will kill the rose, and love and compassion will make it thrive. And I think most people who've studied this, even from empirical evidence, um, it's perfectly sound and by no means unscientific. So what we do know is that there are universal laws and these do explain this differentiation between what people call their path to happiness and actual happiness. First, we know that there's a hierarchy of all things. 
There's a hierarchy of all things. Hence, there are emotions at the bottom. We called them uh, uh, earlier hate and what have you, greed. And those are at the bottom of the consciousness cone, uh, which belong those people to, to those people who are exceedingly passionate about ex seeking extremes of, of anything. So people who are polarized to, to seek happiness without any form of confrontation to it will be operating at the bottom of the consciousness cone. And so they will be the most greedy and they will be the most uh, hateful uh, because they're trying to protect that baseline of one side of life without the other. The individual on one hand will seek extreme happiness, extreme illusions and extreme love. Well, that's what they call it. On the other hand, those who are seeking uh, uh, something else, not polar extremes, would automatically find themselves in a state of love and compassion at higher up the consciousness cone. We know that there are two sides to everything. The individual at the bottom of the conscious cone will not accept this. They will believe there are emotions that make them feel high and have no negative effect um, and on themselves or others. But in the life of that individual, there'll be perpetual depression or complaint and uh, skepticism about what's going on around them in order to protect them from what could possibly be the opposite. What we repress, others express, and so a person who's living with uh, a, a person who's living with a depressed person is typically the ex expressing the positive, the, and the, and their partner, the depressed one, is expressing the negative. Now this happens at work over and over again when one person is is walking around the office celebrating and being aggressive and bully and holding the high ground. Uh, and everybody else is expressing and and uh, uh, the low ground and and how hard it is and how difficult. So um, sometimes we have to fight for the balance because other people steal the territory. At the top of the conscious tone, there is awareness of duality that exists in life, and therefore there is a recognition of this balance. And there's no need to externalize blame. Learning balance is the key to, to continued improvement in our happiness in life, therefore. The rose bush is so perfect. Some, some of the circumstances under which the rose bush exists are beyond its control. Sometimes things happen at work. Sometimes things happen in life. Sometimes things happen in health. Sometimes things happen to which we can't make adjustments to the thing what we have to do is make adjustments to the internal or the inner wealth or the inner thinking so that the experience that is perceived to be a corruption to the fertility uh, goes away. Uh, the rose bush, um, the soul, the heart will not stop growing. Um, it, it doesn't matter what happens, it will not stop growing. But the environment around that rosebush may become toxic if we hold fast to our perception of what's going on around us. And this is what I want to talk about today. So we seek happiness and there are millions of ways to seek it. 
which ones are we going to choose? How are we going to fertilize ourselves? How are we going to be that rose bush that, that is cared for by a gardener, you're your own gardener, that is given the right amount of light, the right amount of water, the right amount of food, the right amount of everything? So let's talk about it. Firstly, let's recognize there are seven areas of life, social, spiritual, career, familial, uh, financial, health, and mental. Each one of those areas of life competes with each other. That's normal. Uh, you run out of money while you're on a family holiday. The financial issue is going to be like something hammering on your thumb. Your happiness of the holiday could be destroyed by either worry or fear of the financial ruin you face. So each of those areas of life, although mutually exclusive in, in a sense, you can set goals and targets and visions for them, impacts the other from an internal point of view as well as an external point of view. So let's be clear. So let's call these external areas of life the chains that bind us to the extrinsic world, the chains that bind us to, to life externally. And people will say, I'll be most happy when I have what I want in each of the seven areas of life. That's a fairly normal thing to hear. Um, but it's a hollow and it's a material proof that we're alive. A house, a car, a bigger house, a faster car, more children, etc. And they're all competing with each other for, for attention. So there's a lot of noise in the extrinsic world. There are equally as many intrinsic chains. Now, those are more sinister because the extrinsic ones, saying I want a car, I want a relationship, I want health, I want money, I want my business to grow, they're obvious, they're, they're conspicuous, they can be seen. But the inner stuff, the inner wealth stuff, uh, are absolutely hidden from observation and especially hidden from the observation of the person who has them because it's impossible to examine the thing that created something uh, subjectively uh, or even objectively because the thing that created it think that it's right and what it created. So those feelings of uh, uh, those intrinsic uh, values, they call them, um, they demand attention. You know, they want, and some of them are based on historical experiences we've had, like wanting safety, wanting approval, wanting validation, wanting comfort, love, friendship, and belonging. All fabulous fodder for the religious and the self-help gurus to try and, let's say, uh, assume that they can give people mastery of the inner voice. And this inner wealth stuff, you can now see it. There's seven areas of life, seven areas of life, and now we can see there's seven levels of inner life the got to, the should, the need to, the want to, the desire to, the choose to and love to. And if you examine each of those seven levels of the inner life, you'll find there are, there are mutually exclusive areas of your brain that can all talk at once. Now, this is the most extraordinary thing. In other words, we can feel something, we can want something, we can need something, we can should ourselves, and we've got to ourselves, got to do something all at once in all seven different areas of life. So we can be, you know, now, now we have seven areas of life competing at all seven levels of life, each demanding happiness. I've got to have you in my life is a family emotion, can be screaming its head off, while in health, health 
might say, might scream, I need a whiskey. The need and the got to competing for your mind attention. And we try to placate that by satisfying one or the other, thinking that it will cause us happiness. But there's just another voice waiting to replace the voices that are satisfied. After, the, after we've got to have you in my life, we get married, and then we've got to have a whiskey, there's another voice screaming out, you should get to work tomorrow. So when we satisfy one of the inner voices, we satisfy one of them, it just breeds an opportunity for another voice to come screaming up and go, I'll just replace the one you satisfy. So every satisfied goal or every satisfied feeling or every satisfied appetite births two more. Now, one solution to this is meditation. And the objective of meditation is to teach us how to, how to control these voices. And some people learn that. They learn to focus their mind so acutely on a single thought. And, and that's wise. But if they all start screaming in the real world, outside of the meditation practice, I need this, I want that, I should be doing this, I, or I want what they've got, I'd love to punch that person in the nose, boom. Unless you live in a padded cell where no confrontation comes to your meditation practice, it's very difficult to make meditation work in the reality of everyday life. That's why I advocate mobile meditation, which is just try walking around and doing that quiet stuff and see how well it goes. It, 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 it can work, but only while we are separate from the confrontations that make the noise that we're trying to fix. There's another equally stupid idea, and that is agitation. You see, the busier we get, the more one voice screams and agitate has agitation so loud that all the others get drowned out. Yes, get busy, go shopping, work late, run a marathon. Come on, you can do it. As long as there's one voice screaming, you can't hear the rest. Stupid, but it's the most common thing people do. They generate one loud voice, make it extremely busy, make it agitated, make it extreme louder than all the rest, is, the rest of the voices. And stupid, because just because there's, a, there's an agitated loudest voice doesn't mean all the other voices are silenced. They are just not hearable over the noise of this rattly brain. But instead of being able to be processed or dealt with, or satisfied, these other voices start eating away at you. You might be at work saying, I want to be at work today. I want to be here at work and I want to solve this problem and I want to get this job done and I want to get a bonus this year and I want... And there's an inner voice going, you should be at home with the kids or you should be around the corner. You should be eating better. And this inner voice, or you've got to... You've got, to be care you've, got to, you've got to get home, otherwise you're going to lose your, your relationship or something. This other voice starts eating away at us and all human illness comes from this process I've just described. The agitated voice overriding the sounds 
of all the other voices and all the other voices are still awake, still alive, still screaming, but aren't heard. They just do their work, destroying the immune system and the human body. So let's finish this up with the walk away, nature's way. You see, when I studied what people do around the world to make themselves happy, what I found was an incredible sense of A, wanting to be happy and forever stay that way. That's uh, a myth. B, uh, uh, hoping for some control over, over all, the, all the diversity of all the voices. And we don't celebrate diversity by controlling it. So the trick is not to have all the voices competing. So in the walk away or nature's way, we satisfy the got to voices first. We go around and we say, what have I got to do financially? What have I got to do health-wise? What have I got to do in uh, relationship? What have I got to do in my, um, in, 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 in my career? What have I got to do spiritually? We, we give ourselves a little got to um, daily routine. And then we say, what should I do? We go around and we give ourselves a little should do routine. Now you might think this is going to take hours and hours, but it doesn't, it takes one hour a day. Because most of the things that we do to satisfy our got-tos are pretty much a part of life anyway. If you're going to go to the kitchen, you're going to have breakfast. It's what you have for breakfast. I've got to have protein for breakfast. I've got to have a walk in the morning. A lot of the things we do anyway, but if we make those things routine, then we satisfy each of the seven levels of thinking and therefore move ourselves up through our through our got-tos, our shoulds, our want-tos, our need-tos, and move ourselves up towards the top of what we call the consciousness cone. We move ourselves through the layers of mind by satisfying them, and it doesn't take much. I promise you that. They become quiet because they're fulfilled. Now we look at the external chain, the mental, social, career, financial areas of life. And we say, which is the lowest of the seven? Which is the lowest priority of the seven? And we, we fulfill that first. And then we say, which is the second lowest? We fulfill that second. And what we do is we make sure that all seven areas of life are given nourishment, watered, fertilized, and made healthy so that what gets left for the 23 hours of the day that's left is the opportunity to do what you love and love what you do in one specific area of life. Now, what's the beauty of this model is that it's adaptive. So as life goes on, which area of life might be a priority might shift. That'll be based on your annual or, or monthly, if you do it that often like I do, uh, vision setting. It'll be true to your internal intrinsic set of uh, needs, your hierarchy of values. And it stops the seven areas of life competing with each other because you allocate time and you allocate energy to the lowest ones first so that you get the freedom to live in the zone 
of doing what you love and loving what you do. It's natural, it's organic, it's fun, it's filled with joy, and you get to do what you love and love what you do. Now, people will come into your day and say, you know, I want to get you back down to your got-tos. If they can, it means you haven't fulfilled them already before they came on your, in your day. In other words, we have to be really committed and understand that nobody's going to treat us better or worse than we treat ourselves. If you've already fulfilled your got-tos, nobody can pull you back down there. It's already fulfilled. This is Chris. You have a beautiful day. Bye for now.